the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Sort of wet. It's sprinkling outside, so... Mm, be very careful, particularly those of you who are new and novice drivers out there. The roads will be subtly wet. Please be careful out there, particularly as you listen to me <laughs> and we start pressing into the issues of the day. And uh, you know how your mind just drifts when you're listening to uh, a sage uh, communicator who takes you to different dimensions of understanding and perspective on life. That's just the way it is. It's called the gift of teaching. That's those of us who have that gift, we do that. We're able to take you to places that you don't go on your own and, and help open up doors of exploration and thought and, uh, and cogitation that, that's not normally done except somebody work through the softening and tenderizing and preparation of words as we were so amply taught um, over the last two weeks in our Rules of Engagement class. Excellent marriage class, I might say so myself. So many uh, folks that came out from different churches, different venues. Um, we had a fabulous time. If, you're, if you really want to benefit from a rules of engagement around marriage um, in a way that presses into even the deep, profound intimacies of uh, sexual relationships, you want to catch our classes um, online, I think you can find them at grace-bible.com, grace-bible.com. Um, they should be up both in audio as well as video. Um, I'm excited to have concluded that, that three-week seminar and had so many uh, very responsive listeners in regards to it. So um, just great. If, uh, if you have some observations, if you were there and I didn't meet you uh, and you listened to this program, I'd love to hear from you. Um, as to how uh, the classes impacted you, what kind of benefit you got out of it, insights, um, instructions, way of addressing conflicts and issues with your spouse or your spouse-to-be as we were targeting young people as well, teenagers and the like around um, around marriage, which is the paradigm that God has given us for proliferation. In any event, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline, March 12th, 2018, the time 507, your host, Jesse Gistan. Um, just thankful to be able to be with you Monday after Monday after Monday for now about eight years on the radio, longer than that. Um, never thought God would give us this kind of grace in the Bay Area to to serve so long. It's just, just been wonderful. Uh, we've been doing ministry in the Bay Area for 21 years at Grace in Hayward, well, San Leandro. Um, small fellowship, now moderately large Um just wonderful. And so we're exceedingly thankful for the blessings that God has given us. And uh, the future is extremely bright for uh, members of Grace, our younger families as well. Had a bunch of new young couples coming in who were just jazzed by the things they never had heard before or learned, learned before around um, marriage. And so thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us. Now, 
Um, here's what I was thinking about. And there's so much, really, I could share with you in these two hours. Uh, and you better get on the phone line because what I'm about to talk about in a minute is, is going to require you to call in one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to call in and uh, and exchange ideas with yours truly as we seek to establish a greater bond of brotherhood and fellowship and and uh, kinship uh, around our walk um, in this world. Our Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, 32, and 36, If you are my disciples, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If you are my disciples, you will continue in my word, and the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall liberate you. Um, and liberation of the truth is really the ultimate uh, rescue that the redemptive paradigm of the gospel uh, offers to sinners who are in bondage to the falsehood of this world system and the uh, diabolical one himself who controls the hearts and minds of lost men and women. Christ promises to bring you into the reality of truth when you submit to him as the truth, as he calls himself in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth. Aletheia is the Greek term, and it simply means the reality of things according to God. I am the unvarnished reality, undistorted reality. I am the unenhanced reality. I am the naked reality of all truth because truth is a corresponding factor to the nature of the true and the living God. God is invisible. He cannot be seen, comprehended, or understood until he reveals himself. He reveals himself to us in the person of Christ, who is the expressed image of the invisible God. Uh, and, and Christ, therefore, as God with his Father, is the revelation of God to us. And the only way we can know God is through Christ. And we, we can only know Christ by the work of the Spirit of God through his truth. Truth, truth, truth. Aletheia is the term the unvarnished reality of all things. The implication there being is that virtually everything around us is covered over by distortions and lies and errors and falsehoods uh, because the whole world lieth in the lap of the wicked one. So now I'm thinking like this over the course of the last couple of days, but this is a thesis I'm developing over the years as I move into um, uh, senior years, if you will, I keep getting from my uh, my upline. You're you're still young, and in a lot of ways I am. But in some ways, I have learned a ton of things uh, over the years since um since being uh, a pastor, and particularly um moving from my 30s to my 50s. That has just been absolutely phenomenal to me, and my soul my soul revels 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 in communion with God and the the gradual unfolding and, and loosening of the layers of reality that constitutes true communion and fellowship with God, as Christ had said in John 8, 31, the truth shall liberate you. So you and I get to be exercised by truth principles. And so one of the things I've been teaching our folks lately over the last two years, those who have drawn more intimately closer to me is the importance of a balanced view of life, a very important principle of a balanced view of life. Balancing your life is also an evidence of your being able to properly understand truth, reality, and 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 as a consequence, uh, develop meaning. So this would be kind of a, a, a trichotomy of terms that I would impose upon your thoughts right now. Truth, reality, and then meaning. This is where I'm going with my, my thoughts. 
in our world, we have propositional realities that are basically the building blocks, the stoike, the, the fundamentals, the rudiments of our world. We can almost uh, reduce them down to mathematical equations when you understand science. Everything has a numerical value to it, even down to the smallest particles in the universe. So saith the scientists and the mathematicians. And it's only logical because God is a God of numbers as well uh, and a God of order. So we have a science side to life that is uh, didactic and propositional. It has um, a kind of discipline of um, objective uh, propositional facts by which we begin to understand how the world works. We would call them laws. You agree with me. It's just true. Um, And that side of the equation really does require us to think more objectively and uh, much more linearly and much more in depth in terms of coherent uh, philosophical uh, logic um, in order to actually make sense of the things that are in front of us. It's called science. Virtually everything that we make and everything that we use and everything we do with any form of efficiency is scientifically um, rooted. It has its rudiments in science. You know that. Um, you're not going to walk anywhere, go anywhere, do anything where there is a successful excursion from point A to point B where we cannot give you a science behind it. But the other part of life is not just the facts concerning the linear realities propositionally and mathematically about what we do, which are so essential to um, maintenance. But then there's the art side of life. So we talk about the art and science of life or the science and art of For instance, the science and art of hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, or the science and art of homiletics, uh, biblical communication, and the science and art of uh, life. And that's what I'm talking to you about right now, the science and art of life. Those two, that, 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 that sort of dichotomy is essential for you and I to really find a balance. If we're so eggheaded that we are leaning almost totally on the scientific side, we will miss a critical component in the nature of God revealed in creation. If we're so bent on the um, pure cerebral facts of what we might perceive to be as truth or reality, which is our own, you know, epistemological assumptions and and, uh, assessment, uh, we're still going to miss the reason for which God created everything. So I say that God created everything in a logical, coherent fashion because that's his nature. But he also created it in an artful way, an artful way, because that's his nature, too. God is beautiful. God is glorious. God is magnificent. God is complex. God is exquisite. God is wonderful. God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. God is an amazing experience. And we agree with that when we just look at creation. Creation is phenomenal along those lines. It's not just scientifically awe-inspiring. It is aesthetically beautiful. Can I get an amen? And as such, what we do with creation is we begin to know God a little bit better, as Romans 1 plainly puts it, as Psalm uh, 8 puts it, as Psalm 25 puts it. Um, so many passages, the, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Creation was uh, made by God in order that God's glory and, and, and Godhood would be made manifest in it. Glorious, glorious. So what do we do when we look out at creation and it serves as a mirror to us of the nature and character of the true and the living God? We find joy. 
Even the most rudimental pagan finds joy in creation. But we also find challenge. We also find trouble. We also find struggle. We also find what? Pain. We also find what? Difficulty. We also find what? Surprise. We also find deliverance. We also find uh, recovery. We also find, um, let's say, uh, a, a cyclical pattern of life. We, we find reciprocation. We find um, a fashion of a human experience that allows us to, to, to cycle through things again and again until we actually learn how to manage. So that's the part that I want to talk about, too why it is that we have to be able to understand truth in relationship to reality and then find the ability to actually to produce and discover meaning out of life. The difference between a well-balanced human being and a person that's on the brink of insanity is not knowing how to hold intention, truth, reality, and meaning. Well, meaning becomes the evidence and token and fruit of your your being able to assess truth and reality. So now I've said it before, truth and reality are not one and the same. Reality can be a reflection of truth, but reality is not always true. And so I would put an S on the end of reality and say we all have realities. You will hear people frequently say your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. But that would be a small T. That would be part of the relative relativistic ideology of this world system. And, but ultimately there is only one truth and that one truth is the basis of everything that exists, whether it's truth or non-truth. And and so our realities could be real realities to you and me, and yet they not be true. So now when you deal with the truth, the truth can be difficult. It can be painful. It can be hard. It can be challenging. It can drive you crazy. In fact, that's what the Jews did with the truth when he came. They killed him because they didn't want to have to deal with not only the realities that admitted itself through the truth, it's the metaphor then being the light, but they didn't want to have to be obligated through those realities to have to now bring about a meaningfulness to what they are now experiencing because a meaningful conclusion of the realities that came out of Jesus Christ would have been that the Jews were wholly deceived and under a falsehood that was leading them to hell uh, under the um, deception of the enemy, the wicked one, the devil. And so they chose to deny the truth and oppose the truth and kill the truth. And that's what I'm saying that we can do with life if we're not careful we can we can destroy ourselves in an attempt to deny the reality of things that demand us uh to draw a meaningful conclusion on them so now how do you live a balanced life i'm gonna be philosophical for a minute because i want to draw you into our object lesson today How do you you develop a balanced life? I'm going to help those of you who are already predisposed uh, by a humble disposition to be taught the way that you you develop a balanced life and a balanced life is something that God delights in a just uh, and balanced weight is the Lord's delight. False balances are an abomination to God. He didn't make you for you to be so extreme that you don't know how to live within the balance of uh, the beauty of uh, aesthetic uh, realities and availabilities to you over against the um, objective structural systems of science and propositional facts. 
He means for you to hold them in tension. You have to believe that there are laws that get that plane up off the ground, but you also have to enjoy the fact that in that plane you have air conditioning, you have uh, you have servers that are ready to give you food. You also have wonderful programs that can mediate between the time you started and the time that you end, so that by the time you get off that plane, guess what? You had a pleasant experience. That is the balance between propositional realities, uh, the laws of, 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 of gravity, the laws of flight, etc., and uh, the artistic beauty of being able to do it in a way that we can call swagger. Right. Enjoyment. So I'm talking about learning how to swag in the truth. Can you can you do that? Learning how to swag in the truth uh, so that we are not finding ourselves deluded by extremes. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Um, A healthy mind is able to look at the truth through realities that are uh, building blocks of personal experience, uh, draw conclusions that are meaningful and then live a life that's productive, fruitful and uh, and helpful in society, as opposed to being a hermit um, or being somebody that's so militant that they want to destroy everything in the world. Um, an anti-missional, anti-societal individual um, is unhinged from uh, realities and therefore unhinged from a meaningful life. What's going to make you and I happy is to have a meaningful life, a meaningful life. I don't care how small our tenure is. I don't care how little money we have or what our circumstances are. You and I can be, uh, you know, we can be in a convalescent home and still have a meaningful life, a meaningful life. So when I come back from the break, what I want to talk about is the Black Panther, and all the implications drawn out of it. And I want to find out if you know anything about how to see the gospel in everything in life. So get your pens out because I've got a few notes that you can take if you want to to learn how to deconstruct realities and and manage them in order to be able to see God's glory in it or um, the ways of the wicked one, or maybe even both. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time is five twenty-five on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Five twenty-five on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. So, if you do things like go to see movies, you are leaning or inclined to the artistic side of life, the more aesthetic, beautiful side of life, which, in many cases, can serve to aid and abet and advance your knowledge. Simply because, again, even in the most um, inane and um, minimally intellectual movies, you're going to have some data, some information that is uh, rooted in some facts that we can practically benefit from. Uh, What I like about a lot of the movies that have come out in the recent decades is that many of the movies, not all of them, and I'm not a movie buff. You could easily, uh, I could easily say I go to a movie maybe once a year uh, and that that if that much, to be honest with you, I will catch movies on uh, uh, Xfinity from time to time when when they don't cost much because I'm just not into paying a bunch of money. But also because when I watch the trailers, if I understand the uh, political underpinnings and maybe even the sort of philosophical assumptions. And certainly if I find a radical anti-Christian uh, um, um, sort of inference uh, in the movie or implications, then basically I'm just not going to support those kind of things, but it depends on my mission. 
But when I come across a number of good movies that I like, and I, I'm one of those underdog go- underdog guys. I like the underdog. I like the person that's uh, behind the gun. I like the individual that uh, everybody counts as out and, you know, wants to uh, just tromp- trample underfoot simply because that's the nature of the gospel and redemption. Um, I, I gravitate toward the weakness so that um, w- one can see how God can uh, cause the, all grace to abound, how he can confound the wise through the foolish, how he can subdue the powerful through the weak. That is the paradigmatic nature of a God who works um, in these kinds of paradoxical ways. And when a person becomes a Christian, he understands that he's able to look for um, the loser and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He ain't completely out yet. So in this movie, there are about 10, 12 things I jotted down real quick. Geographical topography, cultural context, political underpinnings, social tensions, moral objectives in the movie, et cetera. Uh, And I'm talking about the Black Panther, by the way, one now. Right now, if you want to call and and tell me what you saw in it, that would be great. 1-888-367-5329. 36753290 I completely and intentionally avoided all of the sort of Facebook and uh social media responses to the movie because uh, you know everybody has an, an hostile opinion about everything that anybody does and says so cool y'all have at it that's that's the free market system um but I was able to derive at least an assessment on 12 or 15 points that I thought were quite interesting first of all let me just give Props to the quality of the movie in terms of technology and its ability to um, impose in and infuse throughout the movie um, uh, new technology uh, implications and new technology features that really made the movie uh, entertaining. From beginning to end, there were no lulls in the movie for me, of which I just hate when there's like a 10-minute lull. Generally in that 10-minute lull, the the authors and, and writers of the movie are presupposed that somehow you you know you you need to take a nap or you want to watch somebody having sex um, because sex is all, always the hook in all of the movies that are carnal in nature. You guys know that the the liaison before the drama and then you know back to all of the superhero tactics uh, going on. And not not to say that we didn't have some of that going on in the movie. You know, Sister Girl uh, was was the uh, heroine's uh, uh, kryptonite in a lot of ways. All right, so there are a bunch of things that are, I'm going to do. I'm going to let you make your point if you want to call one triple eight three six seven five three two. But I'm going to share with you what I think is really an important thing to do whenever you enjoy the arts um, so as to make sure that you don't end up being a vain person. Now, the the again, the point of what what I am talking about is how to enjoy life without becoming vain, how to enjoy life without becoming vain and how to understand life without becoming irrational. The saddest thing in the world is to watch a person who possesses the Imago Dei become so cynical and so bent towards an um, an irrational and extreme position that they see no good in anything. When you don't see any good in anything, then you just don't see God. That's one, you know, one one extreme. You guys know that this is the stuff that leads people to psychosis and all kind of other bizarre stuff. Uh, And we got a lot of people like that. 
On the other hand, you got people that are so silly, so shallow that they actually do believe the earth is flat and, you know, we're dealing with Martians and and all kind of stuff like that. Just just irrational things that uh, the media has uh, propagated, particularly uh, Internet, and has just unhinged uh, Christians from thinking, you know, biblically and even rationally. Uh, and going into those extremes, you exclude yourself because you're super brilliant, smarter than the rest of us and know things we don't know and see things we don't see. Uh, you know, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. We can enjoy this world like the scripture says, use it, but don't abuse it, but learn from it. So here's the first question that I'm going to raise. What did you see in the movie? How did the movie impact you? Uh, what what elements did you learn from it? And then I'll, I'll lay on top of that uh, several of my points so that the people who are listening for what I have to say won't be upset by um, by me not getting to them. I'm going to go to line number one before I take a break and deal with Ken and Los Gatos. Ken, are you there? Ken going once. Ken going twice. Ken, going three times. Let's go to line number two and talk with Tanshia in uh, Hayward. Tanshia, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. That was, that was okay. You. <laughs> you had, all right. How are you today? I'm doing fan in you. I'm great. Your radio cut down? Um, It's not on. Okay, good. Excellent. Can great. You, great. I, can good. you not hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. So um, what okay. are you? what are you calling for? I'm calling to share what I saw in the movie, and I'm trying to remember everything and keep my excitement down at the same time. Okay, well, I'm uh, going to help you with that. Okay. So um, I, one of the things that I enjoyed seeing was um, that um, when he went to go be crowned, quote-unquote, as king. Who was he? I saw it. Who was he? Um the 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 uh, I don't even know his name. The prince. Okay, we can we'll we'll, we'll, we'll go with we'll go with the we'll go with the prince. So, what is a prince uh, in a uh, in a royal dynasty paradigm? What who who is the prince uh, ontologically? He's called the what? The son. There we go. I'm I'm just gonna help you a little yes. bit for time's sake. Yes, sir. Go ahead yes, on sir. now now now. So, what did you see? So when he went to went for the ceremony, I saw it as um, I, I saw it as um, as in the last days when Christ, we, he, well, he's already taken the throne, but when we all get to be there, the final, um, the final celebration where we all get to be there and see him. So I'm I'm not really sure how what is what it's called, but that celebration I saw that celebration mm-hmm. that would be um, called the coronation. The coronation, yeah. yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that, and also I saw how um, and and it's not in chronological order in terms of how because Christ has already don't died go don't don't again, go don't go aside don't go aside you're gonna mess up don't do that just okay. tell me what oh, you okay. see. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So I, I saw how he, how also how to become the um, the Black Panther how he how they basically had to had to die they yeah. were buried yeah. um, before they could become the Black Panther and how he rose again but when uh, but before he he came back to the earth he went to go 
he went to his father, mm-hmm. and then he came back. I also saw um, how he, the one that was the true king, his suit was purple, which is royalty. Mm-hmm. And the other guy who tried to take the throne, mm-hmm. he his his suit wasn't purple. It was a different. It was a different color. Mm-hmm. And um, I also saw um, how. Um, when they asked all the t- tribes if they were willing to challenge for the throne, mm-hmm. everybody else, they stood down, they were submissive, because I saw it as a t- in a way of no one could take the book but Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, um, I saw that. I also saw um, how the prince went to go get his bride, mm-hmm. the, the woman, mm-hmm. um, which is the church. Mm-hmm. And then I also saw in their, their island, I saw two things. I saw God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I saw, well, the church is God's kingdom here on earth. I saw how important it is for the church not to just shut itself off from mm-hmm. the world. It still has an obligation mm-hmm. to assist mm-hmm. um, and to provide us resources. Mm-hmm. Um also, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. That's all right. Um, You're doing good. You're I doing saw, good. Um, I saw also how, um, oh, oh, man. That's all right. Listen. I, I lost it. <laughs> you, you did very well. You did very well. I'm going to give you a round of applause for that. You did very, you did very well. Um, there's a lot to the movie. And so um, for you to be able to maintain a crystal centricity throughout it meant that you enjoyed the movie um, uh, from a new creature perspective. There's a lot there and hope you continue to listen throughout the course of this program because I'm going to touch on stuff that I believe needs to be um, articulated. I got to take a break. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I am taking calls on this topic this hour. I'm not taking any other kind of calls. OK, no, no side calls. Um, no intermission this is about the topic of the black panther if you guys have seen it any of my f my uh, any of my brothers out there whether you're black or white or latino or asian if you saw it because a lot of people saw the movie and i just want to know what you learned from it i think tanshia did a great job of being able to draw extractions of redemptive principles out of it the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine those of you who are a little bit more politically savvy tell me what were the political implications in the movie i'll be right back and now back to lifeline with jesse gestand all right we've got three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine if you've seen the black panther and you you were able to read into it I'll, i'll just give you four or five fundamentals geographical topography the implications are clear for those of you who understood the geography of the movie the cultural context and their juxtaposition of, uh, you know, uh, antiquated ideas versus new ideas, the political underpinning, the the social tensions, and of course, the moral objective of the movie, which just ran all the way through the movie as a, once again, very sound biblical ethic relative to how they behaved and conducted themselves as citizens. one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Many, 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 many points if you continue to listen for the next two hours 
our next hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, we'll be able to kind of just build a framework around um, redeeming the movie. Tanshed did a great job. I am wanting to go to line number one and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, are you there? Yes, sir. Uh, I did see the movie. Well, we can't talk. Well, I would like to talk to you sometime. So we can do that, but we can't talk now. So I'll okay. talk to you later. Thank you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Bless Deborah, but we can't be talking on phone about personal stuff. So I do want I want you to call one triple eight three six seven five three two nine because I don't want to divert. I want to know, did you see the movie? I mean, the movie made something like three hundred million, four hundred million dollars. So that means some of y'all saw the movie. And maybe you didn't get nothing out of it, but some of y'all saw the movie. I just want to exercise a dialogue with you around it before I lay out some of the things I saw. Let me go to line two and talk with Arbus in Oakland. Arbus, did you see the movie? Yes, I seen the movie, and at first, um, I was like, "Do I am I seeing what I think I'm seeing?" And um, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Well, because I was like, "Am I seeing the gospel in this movie?" You know, because it kind of like hit me like, "Okay, am I seeing this?" Mm -hmm. But at towards the end, when they um, when they came and they were um, teaching, they came back to earth. Mm-hmm. And they were teaching the the um, little kids that were playing um, basketball. Mm-hmm. So they began to like teach them what the spaceship and stuff was. Right. It, like um, what came to my mind is that um, the kingdom of heaven is not revealed to just anybody. That's right. Um, it, it it takes God to reveal the kingdom of heaven to us, and like the um, the the young man that wanted to just take the throne, take uh, take the kingdom for himself. He did. He was like presumptuous, you know. He felt like I trained all my life to um, to have this position, and I want to um, be in this position. But when you come to God, or when you come into God's kingdom, it's not like that. You have to be humble, and God has to teach you and and um, open up your understanding. So, I, I, to me, that stood out the most. Like he, his mind wasn't. I mean, his mindset and his heart wasn't right to um, even be in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But then. Um, they at the, towards the end, instead of just keeping the information to them um, to themselves, they came down and began to teach the children um, who were humble to learn, you know, to learn about it. And to me, it's like the same thing with the gospel. You can't be presumptuous. You can't just um, say, "Oh, well, it's like this," and I'm just going to jump in. You have to be humble and let God allow. God to um, teach you. So that's a little bit that I got from it. You got a lot out of it. I mean, that's why I want people to call who saw it. You got a lot out of it. The fundamental principle that you're talking about, Arbus, is um, except you humble yourself like a little child, you will not see the kingdom or enter into it. You must be born again, but you must be humble. You marked how the kingdom was being revealed to children um, because the adults um, have a predisposition of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency um, and, and, and ill motives. And so the kingdom of God is not revealed to people who are independent, autonomous, and self-sufficient in their own right. And, and God can teach children. And you're right. Until we humble ourselves, we will never see the kingdom of God in this reality and beauty. So you echo um, uh, Tanshia in terms of the uh, kingdom among kingdoms principle. Uh, do you know where, do you know where basic, do you remember the name of the city? No, um, I'm sorry, I forgot it. It was like, it's with an M or... Wakanda, Wakanda, Wakanda. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'm 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 asking I'm asking you guys to talk to me now because the movie is not just made out of whole cloth. It's not just a theory. It's rooted in geography. It's rooted in politics. It's rooted in science. It's rooted in culture. It's rooted in ethnicity. It's rooted in theology. It's rooted in uh, mythology. It's rooted in a number of things. And I just thought maybe some of my folks would be able to do that. But I am so thankful that. Tanshea and Arbus spoke in. So all the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me just let me just kind of wet your whistle if you're not um if you if you just don't know. So it was centered in uh Waganda. Waganda is a sort of a mythical city that really had its regions in the Congo. The Congo is a part of Africa that is filled and rife with all sorts of strife, uh, and it's a very ugly history. If you know anything about uh, Rwanda and you know anything about uh, Uganda, if you know anything about, again, the areas of of Africa where the Congos are, where killing and murder and pillaging and the taking of minerals and oils, which is at the heart of uh, the movie, a very rich mineral that had the ability to create an energy source that that allowed um, the uh, Wagandan people to produce the kind of technology that superseded anything that the Eurocentric cultures had. That's part of the juxtaposition of the scientific component if we were to um, talk about juxtapositions, and that is the pitting together of, of uh, mutually exclusive uh, and yet similar principles. You guys know that in the Eurocentric world, um, we tout ourselves as uh, being a- at the uh, pinnacle of science, at the pinnacle of, uh, of education, at the pinnacle of civility, and yet when uh, when the, the little CIA agent ends up uh, being exposed Exposed to uh, Waganda by virtue of him having been wounded, and the moral excellency of the prince and his uh, and his compadres taking him in to help him, he discovered that what he thought he knew as a CIA uh, agent. He knew nothing, and uh, it was a kind of transformation that took place in his life. He ends up being healed, and he's wearing their garbs. It's, it's, that's called the new creation principle. So there's a lot of re- regeneration paradigms in that as well. Um, but I'm going to take a break because it's time, and I, all the lines are open, one 367 If I'm wetting your whistle, give me a call. I will press into this for the next hour because you need to know that there's not a create creature on the earth that um, serves God with his mind, that he does not ultimately inadvertently preach the gospel, even if it's an antithetical gospel, which affirms the true gospel. He didn't intend it, but God uses everything to affirm the fact that we all live, move, and have our being in God. The number is one 367 Give me a call. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back at the time, 552. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We are deconstructing the Black Panther. The Black Panther, and we are working through um the uh the the framework of the movie. It's uh, geopolitical implications, it's cultural context, it's political underpinnings, it's social tensions, it's moral objectives, and it's redemptive uh, framework. Um, and I'm so glad that my folks from Grace are calling and chiming in on it. I'd love to hear from others, because I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? The the stuff that I've heard about the movie really is about uh, political pro and cons. 
That's a shame because I know while the movie was designed to speak to those factors, the greater underlying objective of the movie was much more moral than that. By the way, before I go to the phone lines, because they're all full, my wife was just jazzed by her Amazonian sisters. Those sisters got down. They just straight got down, handled their business, had me excited. Because I was sitting by the Amazonian sister. <laughs> I said, boy, me and my wife fought, uh, uh, met in the Amazonian uh, jungles of uh, Oakland. <laughs> I defeated her, and she said yes. And so, you know, she was super excited, super excited. I'll raise that question because um, they didn't do that by accident. Why Amazonian sisters as the protectors of the prince and the king? Who knows the history of uh, warrior women and a particular uh, um, warrior king, if you will, leader in history who, who made his way into the Roman Empire? I'll leave that for you. You're supposed to be smart enough to know this stuff. I'm old. I ain't been to school in, what, 30 years, 40 years? No, 30 years. <laughs> Let me go to line one and talk with Coach in Hercules. Hey, Coach, how are you, bro? Wakanda forever, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me. <laughs> well, me and my wife, we've been we were were listening, and Tasha did a great job. She sure did. She's awesome. Um, but one of the things, the implications that uh, I want to piggyback on what she said, and not to be redundant, one one of the things that I saw because I've seen the movie several times now, was um, how they had to show their marking of who they were by pulling their lip down. Uh-huh. And that's like the, the mark of the forehead of the knowledge of the gospel um, that will that is shown to us by other believers that we are marked. The Bible says that we're marked, the marking of the forehead. So they had their mark was was a visible mark, but you could see our mark is a spiritual mark. And and yet so, and yet in a sense not. In a sense you're you're maintaining a, a synthesis uh coach between um the mark of the elect versus the mark of the beast. That's why the book of Revelation has to be understood symbolically as opposed to literally. Not that it doesn't mean right. that is real. I'm just talking to the larger audience that gets caught up in the Tim LaHaye and exactly. even unfortunately exactly. David Jeremiah is doing the same thing right now. Um but the mark is always a token of one being part of a kingdom and we have the mark of the father in our forehead that's revelation 14 uh and it's it's seen by those who can see because they're part of that kingdom it's not seen by those who cannot see who are not part of the kingdom so that that was a clear indication of the exclusivity of the gospel and the doctrine of election yes yes exactly exactly thank you for pulling that out even further um that's my job that's just what i do I, I love my pastor. <laughs> the other thing um, was that um, how the, the general, the, that sister was so cold, and she what she brought out, besides her excellent fighting skills, fighting uh, for the kingdom, yep. when, when there was uh, um, the thought that the kingdom was now in transition, um, in transition and, and, and so not in the right hands, everyone wanted to leave. And she said, "No, I'm staying because I'm loyal to Wakanda." Right. And her 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 lover, um, that he put himself in between her and Wakanda at the time, and he said, "Would you kill me?" She said, "For Wakanda, I'll hate like like the Bible says that I'll to hate mother, father, 
brothers. Absolutely. Sisters. Nothing should come before the the love of Christ and the gospel and the truth of the of of, of the Christ kingdom in us, the hope of glory. Yes. Beautiful. And, and and what I had stated before we got back on the phone and maybe one of the other callers will chime in. We've got one line open, by the way, if you tried to call in one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. These are the Amazonian warrior women of history uh, and the Amazonian warrior women of history were known to be some of the most uh, effective fighters in the world, the most skillful, knowledgeable and effective fighters of the world. And they were uh, associated with one uh, black uh, leading general who ended up impressing the Roman Empire because of his abilities to um, to conquer lands. Would you happen to remember historically what his name is? And uh, well, I'll, be it was what? That would be Hannibal. That would be Hannibal. For Tanshia well, listening, that would be Gaddafi Hannibal. Had an elite, Muammar Gaddafi had an elite group as well. As, absolutely. And, and that, yeah. that it just meant that our African cultures maintain those kinds of allegiances. And, and I'll ask you this one before I let you go in relationship to her loyalty to the kingdom, what she wasn't going to do, which is what a lot of people do. They're groupies in the church. So, so right. you know, you're going you're gonna to honor the king or the prince while he's in rule. But as soon as he gets knocked down, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna take on the next person that tries to take his place. These are what we call groupies. People, well, you, I talked about that uh, last week about the kind of friends you may have. Jesus had those right. kind of friends in his group that left him when it looked bad. David had friends in his group that left him when it looked bad. Right. Moses had friends in his group that left him when it went bad. That sister said, I'm about the kingdom because you can't break order. You can't destroy the protocol just because the king lawfully, the, queen, uh, the prince lawfully lost. He lawfully lost. He lawfully lost. Yeah, he lawfully lost, but he lawfully lost by an unlawful man. And I want to ask you the question before I go. Who is that unlawful man typifying? Who is the unlawful man typifying? Right, because he lost to someone temporarily, didn't he? Right. And who was that Who was that young man who aspired to the throne of which Arbus is saying his heart wasn't right? Mm. Oh, um, Haman. It, that's that would uh, that would be true in our context in our Esther study, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. But yeah. who, but who is Haman a type of? Satan. That's right. Think it through, brother. Who wants to throw? Yeah. Who wants to throw? Yeah. Yeah. He. I will be like the Most High. That's Absolutely. right. And then he has a temporary. He has a temporary rule. Right. See, I, I'm telling you too right. much. I'm gonna I'm let you go. I'm telling you way too much. You good? You all right? Let me go. <laughs> let me go to uh, our next call. I'm going to Melody in San, in Sacramento. Melody, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, Pastor, uh, how are you? Well, I'm going to ask you the question. Did you see the movie? I saw the movie, and you're going to have to help me with how I want to frame this. Um, the part that I was going to on was, you know, when Jesus took off his royalty to come to earth, how the prince had to, um, when they had the challenge mm-hmm. um, part, mm-hmm. and he had to drink something to take his power away from him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to to fight. Right. So that that's what I saw um, is Jesus coming from heaven to earth. 
Right. So how to would lay you down how, his life for us? Right. How would you how would you frame that in turn? What theological doctrine would we uh, call that relative to the prince in a state of royal majesty and superpower uh, having to temporarily divest himself of it in order to uh, meet the challenge of the challenger challenger on that challenger's ground? What would we call that? Theologically, um, the, theologically um, salvation. We would call it the incarnation. Um, okay. Okay, I and, told you had to help me out. With yeah, it. no, you're, you're, no, it's the end game is salvation. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But salvation, what, yeah. right? But, but, but it's called but the, the incarnation. incarnation, right? Because mm-hmm, what does he do? Mm-hmm. He assumes a human nature, right? Right. So the exactly. Bible says, though he existed in equality with the Father from all eternity, he made himself of no reputation, but took on the form right. of a servant. He was made in the likeness of flesh, and he was found yeah. in fashion like a man. So that he took on a human position, a real human position in order to meet real human battles in order to qualify to be our representative. You were right on target, young lady. Right on target. Yeah. Okay. Y'all getting at it. Y'all getting at it. Y'all getting at it. Thank you for the call, sweetheart. I got to take a break. I'm going to try to clear some lines. I want to, you know, we're getting there. You guys are getting there. Now, think about this. I wish I had 12 lines to talk to all of you guys. Think about this, how valuable seeing the world through a redemptive lens is and how empty it is when you don't. I've got one line open, one 888 Our call from Stockton, from Oakland, and from Oakland. You guys hold on. I'll keep pressing through, and uh, I'll try to build a, a greater foundation around some of the political, social, cultural uh, implications, and then we'll draw out the final moral objective of the movie, which I think was great, although it ticked a whole lot of people off. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 